new series, and uh, I want to give you an introduction to that. And uh, we're calling it Holding the Line. What is the church to do in a culture that is, is in a place of such rebellion against God? And uh, truly, our nation is in the seat of rebellion. It's rejected God and is now, in fact, anti-Christ. And uh, where does the church stand in all of it? This is the year we're looking at the church. So how do we take a stand in a hostile culture against Christianity? You might say, well, it's not that hostile yet. I would say, yes, it is. I think you've just gotten too used to it. Um, when I consider what this once great country had as its foundation, it has wandered quite far from that completely. So we want to know, how do we hold the line? So we're going to look at culture wars, but the key to this, and so tonight's an introduction for you to get a mindset to prepare for this. For the next five weeks, we're going to look at key issues that are in the media and in our culture war. Uh, we're going to, it, it looks like culture wars, but it's not a culture against a culture. It's a culture against the kingdom. And that's the difference, all right? We're not just another subgroup of Americans, all right? You're a kingdom person first. You belong to the kingdom of God before you belong to any nation. We pray for our nations. We pray for our leaders. But this is not culture against culture. This is culture against kingdom. And so the kingdom of God is how we're going to walk and we're going to uh, learn how to... Uh, speak the truth, and uphold the truth in our culture. And so let me give you an illustration so that you can understand my approach tonight. There's a difference between the climate and weather, okay? Weather is what happens day to day under the atmosphere in regions in our area. All right, and so the weather is what's happening right now in the midst of our day-to-day -day life. But the climate is what happens in more long-term sense of seasons and atmospheric conditions. So the weather can change minute by minute, hour by hour, but the climate seems to set for months, if not years. We live in a northern climate versus a southern climate. We have snow where other parts of the country don't. We have snow, rain, hail, sleet, all within an hour. That's the weather. But what's the climate that's directing the weather and moving through in and out? So the short-term idea is the weather, and the long-term is the climate. We're going to look at that in the sense of where we stand in how to deal with our culture. There are the politics of the day that change as frequently as the weather. Every four years we get a new president. Every four years we shift back from maybe liberal to conservative. And uh, day to day there are laws made and laws repealed and, and politics and ideas and angry. And the, the, it's like the weather. It changes consistently. It's kind of hard to keep track of the changes of the systems and so forth. But overarching that is the culture or the climate of the culture we're in, right? 
That's the overarching thing. And right now, our culture, long term, has shifted from a Judeo-Christian culture into a secular, uh, humanistic culture, even hedonistic in the sense of what is the atmosphere over the weather conditions of the politics of the nation. We don't go by the weather or the politics. We go by the kingdom of God. And that is what establishes us through centuries, through uh, generations. The word of God does not change. Yet the ideas of man and the ideas of science and the ideas of cultures, they change, don't they? Uh, Like the fashions change. How many of you grew up in the 70s, right? Well, it's back, and uh, it rotates, but uh, how many of you ever looked at your high school picture and thought, what was I thinking? (laughs) I had sideburns down to here, because I could, but, uh, uh, you, you know, and that stuff changes all the time. The kingdom of God does not change, and when the church tries to keep up with the culture, or stay trending with the culture, something's got to change. And the Word of God should not ever change to accommodate culture. All right? So this is how we're looking at it. And in fact, this is how we're supposed to fight this war for truth and what is right. Because in the situation of the weather or the politics, We have people, humanity, and people are fallen. If they're not saved by Jesus Christ, they are fallen in nature, they are depraved, blind to God and His righteousness. Why the church expects a fallen culture to follow the Word is one thing. It's going to be really hard to do that. They're going to follow their flesh. The issue is not the people. Our fight is in the heavenlies, that overarching culture thing, that overarching cosmos thing. That's where our warfare is. And we get on the front lines with other people yelling at us, screaming at us, and we want to yell and scream back at them. And that's not where our warfare is, is it? That's what I'm wanting us to understand how to contend with this. All right? Let me tell you that many times the lines we hold, the fights we fight, the battles we fight are losing. And they will lose. But inevitably, we win. But at what cost? The loss of souls. It's not about making sure you're right and they're wrong. It's about saving souls. This is our focus. Amen? All right. Ephesians 6.12, our struggle is not against flesh and blood. Our struggle is not with the politics of the day. Our struggle is with the spirit of the day. Do you see the difference? We have to wage the war in the realm where it is being manipulated. Because the rest of the world, if they don't know Christ, is fallen and they are following the God of this age who inhabits the power of the air. That's where our warfare is. 
So, our struggle's not against flesh and blood, but against rulers, authorities, powers of this dark world against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly realms. That's a lot of power and authority hanging around. Wouldn't you agree? But we get tripped up in fighting these wars with the people who are yelling and chanting at us. And we make them our enemies. And we get short-sighted as to where the fight is. It's like we grumble about the rain when, when in reality there's, there's, you were in a season where it's going to rain. Do, do you know what I mean? Okay, so we've got to watch where we're fighting. And we've got to, this is going to be hard. Because many of you want to be right. And again, it's not about being right, it's about the truth. Of course the truth is right, but we're going to try to convince them we're right. When they may just have some, some kind of woundedness that no matter what you say, they're not going to trust you. So we got to heal the woundedness through Jesus Christ. Are you with me? All right? So, let me give you another scripture. 2 Corinthians 10, verses 3 to 5. For though we live in the world, we do not wage war as the world does. 2 Corinthians 10, 3-5. I thought I'd have it on a slide, but I didn't put it there. Forgive me. So look it up in your scriptures right now. For though we live in the world, we do not wage war as the world does. The weapons of our warfare are not what? Carnal. What does carnal mean? Fleshly. Of this world. All right? Our arguments are not carnal, fleshly of this world. They're from God. Uh, he goes, on the contrary, they have divine power to demolish strongholds. Where are those strongholds? In the heavenlies. That's where we're waging war. Now, these things sound pretty ferocious. Rulers, authorities, principalities, powers of this present age, dark world, spiritual forces of evil. Man, that's a lot of garbage up there. But he says the warfare is not in this world with the people. The warfare is up in the heavenlies and we've got divine power to demolish those rulers and authorities and powers. But we're not going to do any demolishing if we're busy arguing with the people. Now, again... Yes, we speak truth and we stand for truth and we can go toe-to-toe with people, but please remember, you don't have to beat them and win them with your argument. You have to win them to Christ. He goes on to say this in 2 Corinthians. We demolish arguments and every pretension that sets itself up against the knowledge of God and we take captive every thought to make it obedient to Christ. All right? And so, there are ways to deal with individuals. We're going to be dealing with individuals. We're going to be dealing with pretensions or ideologies. Okay? And, and so we have to have a ready defense. When you're working with ideologies, you need to know the Word of God and take it captive to the Word. When you're working with people, 
You have to be sensitive to the people you are talking to to win them to Christ, not just win the argument. I'm going to be saying this over and over and over because it is so the devil knows the trick to get us to go to the flesh. Someone's going to be yelling at you and it's going to get you mad and you're going to start yelling back and now you've just joined the camp. You're using the same method they are. And nobody's listening to each other. There's a... There's a a concept called ministering in the opposite spirit. In fact, Proverbs talk of, talks about it. A, a quiet answer, what? Turns away wrath. Someone's yelling at you, someone's angry at you, they're blah, 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 and you minister in the opposite. Okay? I've told this story a hundred times. I'll tell it a hundred and one. Because it had an impact on me. Uh, when it comes to Again, principles and ideologies, we must uh, fight against those ideologies, taking them captive to Christ. So uh, I used to sit in front of abortion clinics. Uh, we used to have silent sit-ins where you'd sit in front of them and try to save babies. This is back in the 80s and 90s. Uh, I've, I've walked in marches uh, for life, pro-life. In fact, we just did last year, didn't we? Uh, then when it came to gay marriage, um, I was uh, in different rallies and had been different places to uphold biblical concept of marriage. When the vote was coming down in the courts in Detroit, I was down at Detroit. We were marching around City Hall where the, the lawyer, the judge was going to overturn what the entire state had said, we don't want gay marriage, and one judge turned that all over. But anyways, I was down there, and we were marching down there, and it was kind of funny because I was with a bunch of pastors, and as all of us pastors were there, we were trying to make uh, a case for the biblical truth of marriage. And we're walking in a circle like this. And then the LGBTQ was there because they're pro-gay marriage. And so there was only one place to walk, so we were walking with each other. Uh, you know, and we're walking in a circle, some with, our, with signs and some walking and LGB walking and, and we're all walking in the same circle trying to say our thing. And that's what's so amazing about the United States, the freedom of speech. You can say what you need to say and try to win each other to the thought. I thought that's, that's wonderful. And then the, the pastor said, let's march around the block and we're going to sing some hymns. And so they all decided to go march in a group around the block singing, I, I forget what it was, like the Battle Hymn of the Republic or something like this, you know. And I thought to myself, I thought, we're leaving behind the people that we need to be connecting to. So I stayed in with the group of the LGBTQ. And behind me were uh, a, couple, a couple, a lesbian couple, uh, two were girls, and uh, they were talking and they were wondering what are these guys these church guys doing in all this and I said well those are pastors and I started talking and I said you know let's talk about it and so we were having a conversation and I said look you got to understand what these pastors are, are trying to accomplish they don't hate you I'm part of that group I don't hate you we're trying to 
stop what's going to happen through this decision. We see it that if, if gay marriage goes through, it is going to annihilate the definition of marriage itself. And it's going to have a negative impact on the community. And they said, well, why do you hate us? You know, we just love each other. I don't hate you. Well, why are they saying these things? And I was explaining what the song meant and this and that. And I said, they're trying to keep a righteous standard in what marriage is. And uh, I said, look, if we're going to, the problem is we see that if, if gay marriages go through, I said, then what, what is going to keep it from, from two men and a woman or, or three women and, and, and five guys for marriage? And they said, well, it wouldn't go to that. And I, and I said, well, what about age of consent? If, if, you're, if, if it can be anything, uh, what about a 10-year-old and and the girls were like, oh, no, 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 we wouldn't let that happen. We'd pick it out front. We would, we would protest that. And I said, that's what we're doing right now, and it's being turned over despite protests. I had a chance to talk with them. I had a chance to meet with them and hopefully make them see that we weren't like angry, mad people against them. Well, the judge turned it over, didn't he? And we know the rest of this. But the point is, the people we're in contention with don't understand what we're speaking. We need to relate to people and do the warfare in the heavenlies. We need to take ideologies, all right? If it's a political ideology, we need to speak up. We need to go to City Hall. We need to go to the places where we need to go and make our statement known. But when it comes to people, we have to find the heart of Jesus for each of those folks. That's what I'm trying to train you in. Does this make sense to you? Okay? All right. Remember, you're talking to people who are blind to the righteousness of God. They're blind to God. They're, they're alive to their own flesh. They're trying to live out their life the way they think they should. And we're opposing that because we're telling them that that is a slope that's going to take them down and bring ruination to them. So what happened? Why are we in this condition? Why is the church where it is? Peter says this. In the verse, uh, portion of Scripture we studied, if you suffer as a Christian, don't be ashamed, but glorify God that you bear that name. But it is for judgment to begin in the house of God or with the family of God. And if it begins with us, what will the outcome be for those who disobey the gospel? Judgment needs to come to the church in the United States. What do we mean by that? God needs to sift out the church so that the church stands for righteousness and is aligned with the word of God. What happened to us to get us so far afield? Three major things. Number one, the undermining of Scripture. It began uh, early in the 1800s along with the secular movement and it infiltrated the seminaries and colleges what was called higher criticism where they began to look at Scripture and doubt whether the supernatural was real eliminated the concepts of a supernatural God. 
Then it began to attack the authority of Scripture and the reliability of Scripture. And it went into the seminaries. And most of the, the pastors and leaders that were trained under that came into the pulpits and started undermining the authority of Scripture in the churches. I don't have all the statistics. We'll get into them later. But the, the, the number of Christians, well, I shouldn't say Christian, the number of churches in the United States that no longer believe the Word of God is inspired and inerrant is less than 50%. So the church doesn't even believe that the Bible's true anymore. The percentages of pastors who don't believe in the virgin birth, who don't believe in the resurrection of Jesus Christ, that's not even Christianity anymore. So we've got a real problem. What happened was the church lost its authority. If we're going to be the light and the salt to any nation or country and we lose our saltiness, we're being trodden under by that culture. We're no longer a light to our culture. We're insignificant to our culture. And now we've become a stone in the toe of that culture. Secondly, we divorced the Word from the Spirit. We've got a camp of churches that everything is in the Word, it's all you need, and this Holy Spirit stuff is a bunch of gobbledygook and craziness. We're Word people. And we've got a whole other group over here that you've denied the work of the Holy Spirit. It's real Holy Spirit, and everything we have is Holy Spirit. Uh, we haven't read the Word much, but we've got all sorts of Holy Spirit activity going on. And it's never been meant to be that. And so the, the body of Christ is fractured. And we're arguing e with each other. So you go on YouTube, you go on Instagram, and all we're doing is, is just spitting on each other, complaining about each other. Those wacky Pentecostal crazy people, they're nuts, they're this and that. Those word people are so legalistic, they, they don't even follow Christ. It's, it's the church is eating itself up. Thirdly, is that pastors and churches have abandoned kingdom for culture. We're not preaching the kingdom of God. Church growth became more important than making disciples. We want to get more people in the big room. So let's have less Holy Spirit stuff because that scares people. Let's have more order, keep it on the clock, because people get bored if we sing too long. And then let's make sure that the preaching isn't over their heads. So let's dumb it down, water it down, and let's make it more of a fellowship meeting. And, and the church is woefully ignorant of the Word of God. Another problem is a rapture mentality. The world is just going to get worse. It is getting worse. We just need to get out of here. The church became relevant to culture instead of reforming culture. So if we imitate culture, maybe we can get them to come in more. We need to be careful of that. The church became soft on sin. We became so soft on sin that it keeps encroaching further and further into the church. Oh, we'll, we'll say 
Well, jeez, what can we say anymore? Uh, okay, we can say we're again against pedophilia, right? It used to be that we uh, spoke out on sexual uh, purity, sexual holy sexuality, where sex is ordained for the marriage covenant between a man and a woman. But then there's, since the 60s and the, and the sexual revolution, we've got such rampant sex in the pews that we stop talking about fornication and adultery. So we allowed fornication and adultery to come in where now it's just common thought that our kids are going to sleep around until they get married. It's just common thought that people will, you know, get divorced and have, through adulterous affairs. That's just normal. That's the norm in church. And then we held the line for homosexuality. Well, that's wrong. But now it's infiltrated the church so much that there are churches that are uh, pro-homosexual. And we're going to get into this discussion throughout the weeks. And now, what's happened with the gate of homosexuality opening up, we've got transgenderism, and we've got an, even a discussion on non-binary ideology, that there's no longer a male and female. And it's being accepted in the church. I mean, there's nothing left, except, like I said, pedophilia. And, 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 but that's coming next. And that's just about a year away. So then all that's left is, is uh, animal sex. We'll wait for that, give that two years. Many churches are chasing the American dream instead of the kingdom principles. So that's how we, it's, it's not surprising how this nation got where it is because of the infiltration of the culture into the church instead of the church infiltrating the culture through its kingdom principles. So, okay, we're going to say we're going to hold to the kingdom principles. So how do we hold fast to that? How do we still hang in there? Okay? So, what is our goal? Uh, let me tell you what our goal is. Number one, to uphold the truth of God's Word. So we have to know the Word of God and we have to uphold its truths. Now, if we uphold the truths of God that are going to fly right into the face of the majority of our culture, what should we expect? Rejection. Okay? There are more secular people in the United States than there are born-again Christians. You understand that? We're the minority here. But greater is he that's in us than he that's in the world. We need to speak the truth. If we don't speak the truth, then there's no longer a light in the world. So it's not about winning the arguments. It's about proclaiming the truth. Do you get that? All right? So how do we hold uphold the truth? We have to keep speaking the truth. That's the, that's the number one thing is to uphold truth. Now, they've even been able to pervert that concept saying there is no absolute truth. And so we've eliminated, I remember Josh McDowell speaking about this in the 80s, writing a book about how the problem of absolute truth is disappearing. 
We need as a church to get back to biblical ethics and, and transcendent truth. And not enough people listen to that and look at where we are. So truth is relative. Your truth, my truth. I'm glad you're a Christian. Your Jesus truth is good for you, but I don't need it. And so what do we do? Yell at them. No. Help them understand I was going to say, even using 2 plus 2 is 4, but that's, all, that's come under assault now too, and that's no longer being taught in math classes because it may not be true for you. I'm not kidding. I'm not kidding on that one. All right? So there is a transcendent truth. We're living in an in, insane, inverted world. Be careful. Let's hold on to the truth. All right? So we'll study the truth. Second goal, we're going to minister Jesus to people. Okay? Now in our pursuits of the truth, in our warfare into the heavenlies, we're going to minister to people. People are still broken. People are wounded. People are deceived. People are broken. And many of the people who are floating down the culture river don't realize that they're going to hit the rocks. And when they do... They're going to need help. And instead of us proving ourselves right, we need to prove ourselves loving. And we need to care for them who are dashed upon the rocks and whose lives are broken because they followed a culture that is, is perverse. And so we need to bring Jesus to people. Are you secure in Christ? Do you know Jesus? Okay. So we're going to speak truth, minister Jesus, and then thirdly, we're going to walk the walk. Yeah. There's nothing worse than Christians who have uh, talk a talk and then walk a different walk. And that's been a problem with the church for so long, we've become irrelevant because people see us as hypocrites all the time. Week after week, another pastor, another preacher's ripped off the church, stole how much money, or has been in bed with how many other women, and so forth, right? We got to walk the walk. We got to share Jesus. And we got to speak the truth. And we have to fight in the heavenlies with all our might.